Imagine a world where you knew that you mattered and you belonged. The people cared about you because we were so darn good at listening to one another, no matter how different we are. That is what Sidewalk Talk is doing by putting listeners on sidewalks all over the world so that we can practice the art of connecting. Join me, founder and director Tracy Rubel, as I interview experts on the fine art of human connection and interview some of our volunteers who've been listening on the sidewalk and even some of the folks that we've listened to. And if you want to volunteer, consider joining us at sidewalk-talk.org. So Dr. Elliot Gann is better known as Philip Drummond, the DJ. I remember meeting Elliot years ago. We were at a workshop at the Psychoanalytic Institute in San Francisco, and he shared that he does beat making with inner city kids to not only help their mental health, but to also sort of promote STEM learning. And this was a particular group of teachers that were really against hip hop, and he and I bonded through a mutual smirk across the room. So Elliot's a clinical psychotherapist. He's a producer. He's a beat maker. He joined today's Future Sound to apply his expertise in psychology to transform the organization to what it is today. He's the executive director of today's Future Sound, and he's taught and presented beat making and music production to over 8,000 students around the world for real including North and South America, Africa, Asia, and Australia, and my own kids. Moreover, Elliot brought his beat-making equipment twice out to the sidewalk with me, and one of which we shot on video, and it went viral. So it was the first viral video on Sidewalk Talk. So we have Elliot to thank for the growth of Sidewalk Talk. So I'm excited for you to learn about his project and the really cool and unique way that he works with young people. Elliot Gann, Today's Future Sound. Dr. Elliot Gann, you know, I get a little anxious before I talk to people for the Sidewalk Talk podcast. I actually wasn't anxious at all, which was such a relief to get to talk with you today because I feel like you're an old friend. (laughs) I'm a little anxious, but you know, hey. No, really? Do you get anxious? I, I mean, it depends on what I'm doing. I, I, I'm kind of, you know, jumping into the void here. I didn't, I didn't know exactly what I would talk about. So, you know, a little pressure, but no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So um, what folks don't know, we should probably turn off our, our video so that we have really good sound quality. But what I wanted to say, because I can see your video and the, mm. I, I want to name the visual that I'm seeing. You are in a sound yeah. recording studio right now. Yeah, I got like thousands of records and beat machines and keyboards behind me. It's like crazy. You look like this badass professional musician because you kind of are. Sometimes I kind of am. So I'm going to give everyone context because there's a big context. Mm. I met Dr. Elliot Gann because if you met him, he so so doesn't like play up his doctorness, but he's Dr. Elliot I'm glad you think so. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I met him at a psychoanalytic talk on a Saturday at a preschool and he got up and talked about how he brings beats and music making to inner city youth as part of the way that he helps well-being and science and math learning and you kind of got a little bit of a sideways glance because these this was not necessarily the kind of school that believes in electronic music and so i felt yep. an affinity to you. not feeling it <laughs> <laughs> which is ironic but maybe not uh and then years later i don't know how our paths crossed again i i saw you had a facebook ad and i i said uh, you had something about like an activism or something newsletter or you had the magazine and i sent you a message on there that's all- oh yeah yes yeah and then yeah, i yeah, said yeah, wait yeah. a minute i know you are you this guy and you said yes i am yeah that's me <laughs> and yeah. so I, you're hustling. You're, you work your buns off serving the community yeah. all the time. And I kind of 
feel a kindred spirit in you. And so whenever I feel like I want to cry because I've, you know, worked 12 hours on a particular day supporting sidewalk talk, I'm like, I bet Elliot did the same thing today. So it's all right. Keep going. (laughs) What do you do? What's this call? Why I tell me you have to, there's got to be a big, deep reason if you're going to put in that much time and effort and not pay yourself a ton of money. Yeah. And, um, um, okay. What's the reason? Yeah. It's passion driven. Uh, it's purpose driven. It's really, um, I do the work that I do and have been developing this therapeutic beat making model and, um, using hip hop and music and beat making and that, those kinds of things to engage and work with youth and also older folks, um, because it speaks to my passion. It's, it's a synthesis of, it's a combination of, um, my passion for mental health and social justice and community building and purposeful like living and and then um also my passion for hip-hop music and culture and electronic music and beat making all those cultures because there's a lot of overlap there um especially because hip-hop came from a place of empowerment and healing for you know black and brown folks for african-american and afro-latino folks um who were totally disenfranchised in the 1960s and 70s uh in the south bronx and it came out of a lot of trauma and violent conflict and and it, you know the young people decided they needed to stop uh infighting and hurting each other and um and hurting themselves and and really come together and build community and heal and express themselves in a positive way so the therapeutic aspects and the educational aspects and the empowerment and sociopolitical all that stuff is baked into hip-hop culture already um I, i've just really been trying to take a specific part of it in terms of beat making and advocate for its therapeutic and educational uses and speak to, I think, what a lot of uh, folks like myself who are beat makers, who are DJs, who are uh, practitioners of hip hop music and culture know intuitively and maybe in a common sense kind of way that someone hasn't put formal language to or you know, studied in a scientific way. Um, and so that drives me and my passion to connect and, and to reach young people. Yeah. And, and, you know, something interesting happened to me last night, actually. Um, and it's been happening a little more lately. I had two former students who we had taught in fourth or fifth grade seven, six years ago, reach out to, to us on Instagram, to the Today's Future Sound Instagram and to, and to my, my artist profile and say, wow, like, I, rem- I you know, I remember this and this was such a good experience and, and thank you so much. And, I, you know, wanted to say hi. And I had that happen with another student from a, who we'd taught in middle school around that time. And I actually, I ran into him. He'd, he'd sent us a message through the website, our website, but hadn't given a, a, you know, an email address or a contact where we could get back to him. And I was really kind of sad about that because I wanted to, to talk to him. And lo and behold, I was in West Oakland, you know, and <laughs> who I see down the street and who I hear yell, yelling me down the street. It's, you know, it's Bernard. And so I talked to him and he was, he's still doing music stuff and doing video stuff and media arts kind of thing. And, and he had said in his message, I, I miss, I miss y'all. Um, I was looking back at the, the album that we made because we always give them these kind of transitional objects, these, these um, you know, the album covers or the CDs that really encapsulate the experience and remind them and give them a tangible, concrete out, outcome. And that's part of our model. And he said, man, I was looking to the music and I was remembering how much fun it was and how much I loved it um, and missing you and thinking about, you know, what an, essentially all these kids were saying, not, the, not kids anymore, they're adolescents or young adults are saying this really had an important impact on me. And so those kinds of things as well um, really remind me why I do what I do, because I get lost often in the administrative work, as you were alluding to, you know, when you do 12 hours of admin work and emailing and texting and trying to get things done and meet deadlines and do this and that, and, and then the human part of it and the profound connection that we can form through these kinds of interventions or projects or initiatives that happens every so often, or I try, I attempt to take a a breath and um, reflect on what I'm doing, but it's really when you do it in the moment too, when, when I'm teaching or when I'm working with young folks or when, you know, or when I take a moment to reflect, I think about this is really important work that we're doing. And even though I say it's impactful and I know that on an intellectual level, the important moments when people say thank you or say this really impacted me remind me why I do and why we do what we do and reminds me also um, of how impactful these kinds of moments were to me when I was a child and when I was an adolescent 
and someone took the time to do this. And that's why our slogan is, I wish I had this when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a whole little, you know, illustrated like cartoon illustration design of that, like stickers and sweatshirts and t-shirts. And, and we have nearly sold out of them because people love that sticker because it really does speak to that kind of intergenerational mentorship that happens in, in hip hop, but the importance of, I think, feeling seen and heard and re- being able to, you know, to kind of have this self-realization that maybe is facilitated by whether it be a, a therapist or a mentor or a parent or a teacher or a coach or whatever, you know, just these mentors and, and people who are really important in our, in our lives. And so we are trying to deliver that experience and reproduce that experience for the, um, the young folks that we work with and, and for communities. And it doesn't have to be limited to uh, youth. It, it, I'm really interested and we're really interested in working with veterans, with um, adult, you know, you know, populations that may be in, you know, inpatient um, clinics or in prisons and these kinds of things, but that really to give back what we've received and to share our passions and to hopefully ignite those passions or help folks find their passion or, you know, existential purpose, passions, hobbies, experience fun, experience a sense of autonomy and, and control, especially if you've been affected by trauma. Um, where you lose control of yourself and or you know your surroundings, and it becomes a very scary and threatening environment. To give someone a sense of autonomy and control back, even in really little ways, is important. I think. Well, so let me back up here a little bit and give a mm. context for our listeners. Let's say that I'm a 15 year old girl and I'm mm-hmm. in West Oakland. How do I come in contact with today's future sound? And what are you hoping? I experience with, with TFS? So we work in elementary, middle, and high schools. We work in juvenile detention settings. We work in community settings. As you know, you know and as we did um, that one day at 14th and Broadway in, in downtown Oakland, we, we set up in the middle of the street. And that, you know, that was one way that someone could have encountered us, right? Just when we did that, uh, that really fun kind of sidewalk talk in today's Future Sound Collab. But typically they would find us in after school or in school programs. Some youth might find us in juvenile hall. We've now just gotten a $30,000 grant from the California Arts Council to expand our juvenile hall program, which was only in one of the max security units. Now we're in the girls unit. And I think that's really important too, um, that girls and young women be able to receive these services and, and have access to and are encouraged to make beats. So, it may be a school setting, it may be a community setting, it may be a juvenile hall setting. Um, and I hope that at the very least, anyone who participates in our program discovers a new part of themselves and a, a, mm-hmm. a new capacity or develops a skill set and, and can discover or further develop their artistic identity. The fact that a lot of people are told maybe that they're not good at art or music or they think they're not, but that given the tools and the framework and even the relationships to facilitate that, they can do that and they can discover they can do it. And, and I think that that contributes, you know, it's part of the kind of therapeutic beat making model that I've been pushing and talking about. There's kind of, there's three parts, right? And so when someone comes in, it's like, what's, how, how is beat making or hip hop, how can that be therapeutic? You say, well, there's, first of all, the relationship and the immediacy of the equipment that we use, the technology that we use to teach people to make beats enables near instant gratification. And you can make something that sounds good in a very short amount of time. And that's Yeah, really you had important. my kid hooked. <laughs> yeah, right. He has a beat making like thing because of you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it impacted him that way. And that's really the idea that we're engaging uh, immediately. And, th- and we know that the relationship is the number one predictor of positive therapeutic outcome across all theoretical orientations, right? So the preach, most important thing, preach. right? I mean, it's, it's, that's what it is. And any teacher or administrator or coach or people who, uh, you know, they, they know that, right? It's not just in therapy. You can't have effective edu- you know, education without relationships. And that means you also have to be culturally and developmentally responsive, understand where people are coming from um, and be adaptable. So I think that's really important. And, and we have found across cultures, lang- language barriers, geographic areas, you know, we've taught on six continents now across you know, 20 some odd countries that the equipment really is, it's visual, it's kinesthetic, it's, you know, bodily, use your body to touch stuff, touch the, the lights that light up and, and it creates sound. And so it's this multi-sensory experience 
that's really engaging. People want to just press the buttons and see what happens. And we let them do that. We encourage them to do that. So we can establish a relationship both through that as well as through the, you know, the culture of hip hop, electronic music, popular music. And we enable, we facilitate young folks and old folks alike to make that if they want to, whatever kind of music you want to make, you can do that. So we have the relationship, right? And then there's the kind of what I talk about is the expressive dimension or domain where you both have this idea of catharsis and having a release of, of stress, of uh, you know, built up aggression and tension and whatever it is that's bothering you through the, through the activity of music. And this is Freud's idea of catharsis, but also if you look at the research on kind of uh, both trauma and neurophysiology, we see that repetitive rhythms um, put people into mild trance-like states. And they can put people into deep trance-like states too, depending on the person and how they're wired. But we know you can, we can change brainwave patterns through repetitive beats. Some people it takes you know, a minute, some people it takes three, some people 10. Now we know you can do that through traditional drumming and with djembes and congas and things like that, West African drums. And, but um, we argue uh, kind of by extension that you can do the same thing with tapping pads and with actually listening to beats, hip hop beats. And there's a whole thing in hip hop culture where folks talk about getting open, how they had this kind of transcendental experience and get and really kind of go into this flow state. And I think it's not a coincidence that people talk about, you know, when you're freestyling and it's coming out to you and it, you're going through this free associative process, talking about flow and your flow and your rapping. So there's also that, that aspect of it. And I think that's really therapeutic and can really calm people down if they're anxious, if they're having a stress, you know, trauma or stress response and starting to dissociate, you can ground them in the present moment and they don't get caught in the past of the trauma. Um, and then even connect with other people to a single beat, right? We know that's really powerful. That's why it's used in, you know, traditional and ancient cultures and religion. And it's really powerful to join with people in a, in a group rhythmic activity. And that's one of the things that I've talked with Dr. Bessel van der Kolk about, who's one of the world experts on trauma. He, um, he talks about how important that is to have synchronized rhythmic exercises to sync people. And Bruce Perry talks about how, you know, rhythm is the central you know, feature of the nervous system that ties everything together. And I've talked with him also about, you know, our kind of therapeutic deep thinking model. So oh, just, you just, just please keep geeking out with me because it's, <laughs> okay. I, mean, I'm I, I'll, a, I'm, I can nerd I'm out familiar. for hours. Yeah. This is awesome. Keep going. So we have the relationship, we have what I call the expressive domain, which includes the kind of the neurophysiological regulation, the kind of the catharsis. And then the third um, domain or, or dimension that I talk about in the therapeutic beat making model is self-concept. And self-concept encapsulates both self-esteem, how, you know, to, how, do we, how do we view ourselves in comparison to our ideal sense of self, right? And Freud said we have this ideal sense of self this fantastic idea that we'll never reach, but has a certain set of like, you know, I'm going to be the best beat maker and an incredible athlete and a great person and do all my brush my teeth and floss every night. And the closer we get to doing that, we, we wash the dishes, we do a good job. We do something nice for some, someone we're rewarded by our superego and we, we feel better about ourselves because we've come closer to our ideal sense of self, but simultaneously. And, and so, you know, you, you teach someone how to make beats or master, you know, this equipment that they make a song they're really proud of and share it and get good feedback from their community or friends. I think that, that um, it helps with this, you know, the self-esteem and feeling good about yourself, but also included in the self-concept um, kind of uh, the way we're operationalizing it is self-efficacy, the idea of having an, an effect, an agency, having an effect on the world. And when you've been exposed to trauma, when you've been put in a position where you felt powerless or out of control, um, it's really important to have that, to help with recovery, to help with a sense of that you can control your life. And, you know, I often have moments myself frequently where I feel like things are out of control and I have to do some, you know, breathing or, you know, some meditation or whatever to kind of regain some a sense more of control. Some more beat making. <laughs> exactly right. Therapeutic beat making. I had, I mean, I had a friend who was, you know, who was experiencing a lot of anxiety and was even suicidal. And he told me, you know, he said, look, this, it really helps doing the beat making. It mm. really calmed me down. And I think it does. That's one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we do it. But when you get it, create this sense of mastery and, and really um, kind of develop your skills, um, I believe it gives folks a sense of mastery. And, and that's why, to me, it's important to even ask a, a child or a person, you know, we have five kick drums you can choose from. This pad, this pad, you hit this button, it'll do this one. You hit this button. Which one would you like? Because so often 
we're not asked and kids are not asked in school, what would you like to do? Yeah. No, they're told no, no, no. And we're trying to say, yes, yes, yes. You have a choice. You matter. We're going to give you the choice instead of my just telling you what to do and figure out who are you. And I think that that contributes to a uh, sense of, of efficacy. And, and that really is kind of central to, along with the esteem part, the self-concept. And so I think that's, that, that's just very important for, mm-hmm. for folks who may feel uh, they don't have agency, feel that people don't care about their voice. And it's important that everyone feel uh, seen and heard and understood. So as I listen to you, I'm putting this into my Tracy simplified language. Um, that, you know, the thing that we share is this relational piece, but I'm hearing you say, look, there's the capacity to express, there's a capacity to soothe, and there's Mm -hmm. a capacity to feel empowered. Yeah. And that, um, just taking it out of the, some of the psychological language and that you bring that both into the relationship, because in a way, this device, this equipment becomes the translator. Yeah, it's it's a vessel. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a ve- it's a tool, yeah. And it allows for all of those things to happen and potentially then deepen the human relationships that are there because you're also, you know, getting a chance to talk to more of you artists and learning so much in the process from you all about the co-creation process is so connective and it's so different than just having a conversation. It's it's another kind of conversation that's so deep and sounds so rich, the kinds of musical hip hop conversations that you're having with the folks that you're serving. Yeah. And especially because it's collaborative, there's a lot of, you know, soft skills or, you know, uh, interpersonal aspects to it in terms of negotiating things and being respectful of someone else's opinion or I don't know, aesthetic choice or the amount of space that they need. Um, so it's really, it's a balancing act, uh, as most interpersonal interactions are. Uh, but then with the artistic piece, which can even complicate things, but it can also um, really bring things together nicely too. And, and you see the grat- the thing that I've seen, I was going to say, you see the gratification. What I've seen happen thousands of times in teaching you know, tens of thousands of people um, to make beats and, and watching our instructors is those kind of, those eureka moments um, and those paradigm shifts, the kind of epiphanies where you show someone the component parts to say, okay, you want to program the drum beat that you've heard in, in hip hop or popular songs. Here are the individual sounds you put together and it creates this gestalt, this, this bigger, what is it? I always get the cliche wrong about the sum is uh, greater, greater than, than the, the, whole, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That's exactly right. And you see, I've seen this happen so many times when you hit play and the little pieces, little drum pieces have been put together to build a, a rhythm and it creates that, that drum beat that they've heard before, or you add on the samples or the musical components and they're like, Oh wow. Like I, that sounds like what I've heard on the radio or that sounds really good. And oh, that's how they do it. And it's a beautiful moment mm-hmm. from a learning and, and developmental perspective and the pride that they take, you know, it's, um, it's just a really fundamentally important thing. And I think a lot of us have had that not only in you know, musical experiences, but in other kinds of things where you, you have you know, a moment of clarity, you have a, a moment of understanding uh, where everything kind of comes together or you feel really good about what you've done. Um, and, you know, hopefully that's the kind of thing that we also develop in psychotherapy or in counseling or in talking with folks and personal development that you start to maybe have more of those where you understand how things fit together, why things are the way they are. You know, maybe you learn more about yourself as a, as a person and, you know, kind of put the pieces together. So I'm 15 years old. I found my way to today's, today's future sound. Um, parents are divorcing. Um, h- how much time do I get to spend with y'all and where am I, is, is, am I, having a recurring class at, at my school and am I getting to produce a piece of music and, and do you actually do some therapy with me? So we don't do therapy proper. We, what we're doing is therapeutic. It's, you know, helping with positive youth development or with, with development. Now you can have therapeutic moments or, or interactions that are therapeutic. I do believe. Cause I just want to interrupt um, you to, to say to our audience that, that I joked that, Elliot is a doctor and he's a doctor of psychology. So that's why I was asking that. So keep going. 
Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and my, and my license is active in the state of California. So I could conduct traditional psychotherapy, but I focus my efforts on running Today's Future Sound. And so we meet this 15-year-old. You know, they're going to see us usually probably once a week, maybe for 15 weeks, maybe for 30 weeks, hopefully. You know, the more the better, but it, you know, it's, it's difficult to get more than once a week. But we have some programs, uh, mainly at this point, our juvenile hall program, where some of the units get to be seen twice a week. So you're, you're interfacing with our instructors. Usually it's a three to one ratio of students to instructor. It can vary. And you're, you're having an adult mentor who cares about you, who's non-coercive, who, who is interested in what you're interested in and interested in helping you develop as an artist and a person and is taking the time to do that. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in that. Again, because in schools often, not always, but often um, kids or people are told what to do or what to learn. And um, more and more, there's, they're being encouraging critical thinking and reflection, but it really varies. And, and still even, it's, I think the ratio of, of students to, to teachers makes things more difficult. So you have, maybe, maybe you had a really tough day and maybe you're acting it out in your behavior. Maybe you're grumpy or you're lashing out at people, but hopefully you're able to say, um, come to come to the you know the beat making class group, um, channel those feelings into the music. Maybe you've established enough of a relationship with this teaching artist who is different from a, a normal teacher. And yes, they're an authority figure, but they have kind of more cultural capital or cachet. Um, and uh, you know, it's really an opportunity for you to connect with them. To maybe you tell them what's going on. I mean, I had uh, a kid that I worked with seven years ago um who just really clicked he loved the beat making and he and i just kind of clicked and the relationship was there and i actually i was this was the second year in a row i was working with him at west oakland middle school so he had the pre-existing relationship he loved the beat making thing he he told me when i came in he said i haven't seen him for two weeks and he said my mother passed away uh, mm -hmm. since i last saw you and and i said i am so sorry to hear that i can only imagine how difficult that is um you know i'm a trained therapist. If you want to talk about it, we can. And if you just want to make beats, we can just make beats, right? So I'm not forcing him. I'm giving him choice and autonomy. And you should never force someone to process something traumatic or something they're not ready to talk about before they're ready to talk about it. It's going to just be really, a really bad experience and can, can be really damaging. So he said, yeah, I just want to make beats. Um, and I'm still, as a psychotherapist, and a psychoanalytically and psychodynamically oriented therapist, I'm thinking about unconsciously, what is he expressing, playing out, communicating to me through our beat making process? Is, it, is this beat maybe a little more aggressive than usual, expressing some anger and some rage? Is it a little bit faster or is it, you know, and, and just thinking about the derivative moments, meaning what is he expressing unconsciously through that process about what he's feeling and how can I help him to kind of contain these difficult feelings, to process them and make sense of them, even if it's nonverbal, even if it's just through the music making process and being present and caring and not being overwhelmed and falling apart, but just being able to listen. And I think that's the value that we really offer when we listen to people and when we can really hold the difficult moments, the stressful things, and, and people want to just talk and want to be heard and want that reflected. It's so powerful. And so I think I was doing this in a nonverbal way. I had another um, situation. Uh, in a school where we were about to start class. Well, it was like 10 minutes before class I arrived. I heard that one of our students who was in our class had been assaulted outside of the school by a parent and had been taken to the hospital. Mm -hmm. um, some of the kids in our class had witnessed this. Almost all the kids in the class knew that it had happened, some more than others. Mm -hmm. So I made a decision based on my training and, and what you know, my be best judgment, hopefully, that I would acknowledge what had happened, um, that if kid, you know, I said to the class and my, I told my instructors, look, I'm gonna tell them if they wanna talk about it, they can. If they don't want to, we're gonna make music and we're gonna do it in our structured usual way to kind of you know, give them some reassurance from grownups that it's okay, that there's a structure you can follow despite this crazy, traumatic, violent thing that just happened. And for the kids that are ready to talk about it, we'll have them, split into groups, you know, separate from kids who are not, so that the kids who are not are not being overwhelmed or dysregulated by it, um, if they're not ready to process it. Uh, I worked, when we broke into groups, 
I worked with a, a young man that I had a relationship with. I knew him for a little bit. And I said to him, would you like to talk about what happened? Or would you like to just make beats? He said, I'd like to just make beats. Three, four, five minutes later, he's talking to me about it. We're making the beats as well. And again, the music, I think he's kind of being shaped by uh, his emotional experience and perhaps a little different than what he usually makes. But he's also talking to me about it. And we got mm -hmm. to talking about why would a grown-up do that to a child, get into mm -hmm. a fight with a child and physically assault them? Mm -hmm. and, you know, he's a smart kid and he, you know, he's a seventh or eighth grader. And he, he said, you know, she probably has some problems. And, you know, I talked to him, you know, and, and I said, how do you think that this, you know, woman who assaulted this, this girl, like copes with her problems? And what do you think she might be going through? What would lead someone to do that? And trying to just kind of make sense of this really overwhelming, scary, chaotic thing. Now, mind you, halfway through the class, the, uh, the, the, the alarm in the school goes off and the school goes into lockdown and they make an announcement because they think the parent has come back, maybe looking for another child or something like that. Um, and so that's further dysregulating and scary to the students. And so right. I, again, kind of say to the group, to my instructors and to the kids, okay, look, no, because the kids start getting kind of riled up and they say, oh, we're going to go find them and go beat her up or, you know, whatever. Right. And I said, no, no one's going to go beat her up. No one's going to do any of that. The, you know, the, I was going to say, I was going to actually have a, a Freudian slip down the parents, but the adults here <laughs> are going to, I mean, that's the function that we're serving, right? We're yeah. acting kind of as, you know, as step-in uh, responsible adults who care, as good, the good parents, you know, who are available in the moment to these kids. They say, no, you're going to stay in here. We're going to focus on making music. If you need to talk about this, we can. But, you know, this, this kid was able to, to verbally process with me and start to make sense of this really traumatic thing. Um, and so really kind of think about where this would come from. And, and I think in doing so, you are also inevitably reflecting on your own, you know, psychological experience. And, and it's a metapsychological thing, thinking about thinking. So I think that we, we offer a structure, we offer responsible adults who support students, who support young people, offer them an outlet, offer them a healthy relationship, and usually in a, in a you know, uh, continuous manner, usually you know, 12, 15 weeks minimum. Now, that being said, we do one-off workshops and those one-off workshops can be really transformative and you can have those eureka moments or those really profound existential moments when you discover yourself as an artist or as a musician and, you know, create a new kind of sense of this artistic identity separate from maybe the identity you have built on, it could be on like a lot of stigma or like you're not good at school or you're, you know, or you're a bad kid. And then, a, a child or a person can discover themselves as a, as an artist or a creator and, and have this alternative identity or new identity that can really help with um, perhaps being more forgiving and, and kind of help them to heal. Uh, but, you know, look, the more, the, you know, the longer, the better, the more frequency and duration, longer duration, the better. But I think we can have moments that we don't even know how profound they are for some people. And that happens in therapy. It happens in our lives all the time when you just do something nice for someone or do something for someone. And you don't even realize perhaps what you're doing really helps them. In the same way that maybe we can do things that we, we're not aware maybe hurt people or make people feel dismissed. Um, yeah. You know, I think that there's positive things we do. So my hope is that at the very least, when we do these one-off workshops, we help people to discover themselves and discover new parts of themselves and discover new experiences and, and to feel understood, accepted, and, and empowered in a way that they perhaps may not have or not have that opportunity, you know, and we're going to a school in Philadelphia doing a one-time workshop from New York with my New York staff uh, on Wednesday. And my hope is that these kids are going to have a, you know, at the, at the very least a one-time experience that will offer them, you know, some of these potential outcomes. Yeah. Well, so how have you been, I mean, I am hearing transformation all over the place. And I yeah. want to get a little, a little messy, a little vulnerable. Okay. Maybe, okay. It, I mean, oh, you get to have boundaries. <laughs> you, you don't have to get it. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you yeah. know, you, but it's like, we don't have to be like vulnerability junkies here to have pe peeping toms on your vulnerability. But as much as you want to share, I mean, how have you been changed by this work? What have you, um, what has surprised you? You know, to be honest, I do so much administrative work now. Yeah. Um, that. I still do direct services and especially when I, when I travel, but I'm doing a lot more admin and leadership work. And even the past month, three weeks have been very trying for me and have been very difficult from it 
an administrative HR kind of leadership perspective. And I've really, um, I've failed uh, many times over recently. I've had some successes too, but I've really been struggling with certain, you know, with uh, certain interpersonal relationships, whether they be with my staff or whether they be with uh, people that I'm interacting with outside of my staff in kind of an inter-organizational capacity. And it's really made me reflect on um, how do I need to change? What are patterns that I'm repeating that are not helpful for me, for my staff, for my organization? Uh, and I've, my, the, the, my current partner, the woman that I'm dating works in HR and is a very insightful and very smart, psychologically, you know, emotionally smart person. And she told me something a mentor had told her about this kind of five second rule that, that to try taking a five second pause, particularly when you're in a kind of a contentious situation, uh, to reflect on what you're going to say and how it's going to impact someone and to not react defensively. Now that's been a, a, a really massive struggle for, for me to do. And I really? have not, yeah, yeah. Well, I think, look, it's not that I don't think about what I say. I mean, I'm a very, I like to think I'm a very thoughtful person and I reflect yeah. a lot on myself, but I've just, there's certain people who trigger me. There's certain people who are acting things out with me and certain folks who are being really inflexible and not really, you know, keeping to certain agreements or expectations that I have of them or that organizationally are set out. And, you know, it's, it's been a challenge. Uh, and I've really tried to, I've tried to be flexible, but I've also tried to set limits and there's been a lot of pushback against the limits. And in some situations you need to keep the limits and some you need to be a little more flexible. Um, and then in certain situations where I'm making asks of people, I feel like, you know, I, I both, uh, I make a lot of asks. And I always try to repay or, or balance it. I mean, people are also happy to volunteer because they believe in what we do. But um, yeah, it's really, uh, you know, look, we all have our baggage. We all have our character flaws, myself included. And there's certain times that you need to just not push and you need to not fall into that trap or, or whatever that thing is that dysregulates or sets off or triggers that person. And I think that, you know, I, I have, I've kind of stepped into some, some booby traps and I've also kind of let perhaps some of my, um, you know, personal baggage or shortcomings maybe uh, influence my, my level of performance or, or not being the best uh, leader or um, person that I can be. And so that's something that I've really been trying to do, like personal inventory and reflection on and, and attempt to reset, even if I kind of <laughs> screw well, up on a daily basis. If I can offer... I suspect that every person that directs a nonprofit that's listening to us right now just had a big collective out breath and went, oh my gosh, <laughs> you mean I'm normal? <laughs> yeah. Because I do believe, I, I just said to somebody recently, the hardest thing for me about sidewalk talk and leading sidewalk talk has been that when you're in the role of leader, you have a big sign on your head that says project all your shit onto me. Bingo. <laughs> Bingo. That's it. That's totally it. Because you're the, you're the, you're the authority figure. You're the parent. You're the controlling, you know, people view you as the control, the one who wants to control them. And they'll, yeah, it's, it's so true. So you have to be able to hold those projections and not punish people or react too much to it. it. That's so true. I can really, really, um, yeah, really identify with that. And, really and it's, it's it. more profound. It's really given me a sense of sort of systemic injustice and that in order for us to really create justice in the world, we just have to humanize everybody, including, yeah. like I think what you're doing, Elliot, by sharing, gosh, this is hard is you're actually humanizing yourself as a leader rather than remaining unknowable, which I think is part of what keeps us all stuck. Cause then you just get to be the asshole boss, right? Yeah. And now what happens is your students go, yeah, being a leader is not glamorous. It's service and it's hard and it can be lonely. And then, you know, the other piece. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, adjective for describing leadership it can be very lonely oh it's lonely 
Yeah. <laughs> it's super lonely. Yeah. That's why, you know, for me, I'm very tight with boundaries because I imagine for you, as you do more in administrative work, you've got to get back in and make beats with the kids that you're serving because it's the thing that keeps you going, right? Yeah. And I think even just making music for myself, which is literally what I was doing before um, we got on the call. And, and I, my artistic um, productivity has drastically dropped, drastically, mm. since the administrative has gone up. And it's part of my self-care that I've been really bad about is not creating the time for myself to create artistically because I feel so much administrative pressure and have so many things that need to be done. Yeah. And, I, and I lose access to that, which I loved, as well as the, the youth work too. But I think that that's an important thing. And, and I feel guilty when I take that time for myself or to do the artistic stuff. I feel like I should, you know, you know, as a leader, when you have your own business, you feel like you should always be working, right? And I'll, what could I be yep. doing right now? I had one of those ass kickings today where I was like, not enough, got to do more, blah, blah, yep. blah. And I'm like, yep. ah, yep. stop that. But bringing it back to that if there is this pain point, right, where we know that you're making the sacrifice, why do you do it? Like, why does it matter so much to you? Because it clearly... Um, has some hard parts of it too. It's not just glee and joy and I'm the cool dude that made this thing. It's hard. You've been hustling a long time, but it yeah. why does it matter so much, Elliot? I think there's multiple things. Some of them maybe are more selfish or narcissistic and some of them are, are you know, profound. Uh, you know, some of it, like I love being able to connect with lots of different folks and lots of different people. And I love being able to travel and experience different cultures. I also love being able to impact my local community and do something where I feel like in a world that is, can be so cruel and crazy that hopefully I can have an impact both, uh, well, on, on systemic levels, even if they're smaller levels of systems, although I you know, do a lot of advocacy work and presenting and, and training and passing on our model, but also, you know, you know, whether it be like in an individual level, small group level, school, community, et cetera, just that despite all the crazy things that are going on in the world and the cruelty and, and selfishness that I can share this model and I can motivate I, uh, people. I think one of my, one of my great strengths is, is motivating people and inspiring people to see that they can have an effect and, and that beat makers, mm -hmm. hip hop artists can go into their own community. So I come into community and I say, here's the model. Yes, you can do this. I know you've been thinking about this or you haven't. Here's how you do it. You got the tools. Here's, here's the permission. Here's the know-how. Here's the model and the structure. So, you know, we started a sister chapter in El Salvador. Um, and we're going to be presenting with them in Mexico at this, um, you know, national or international congress on school violence prevention. Mm. And they now are running an autonomous program. You know, I, I came in, we came in, shared the model with them, helped get donated some of the the beat machines the you know midi controllers and now we're helping them to get some computers to you know to be able to really sustain it but they're you know they now have gotten contracts and are able to do this work and and you know as as someone who's a united states citizen and with the legacy of uh, political and social interference in the what we've done to el salvador even creating the gang problem there i i feel a responsibility and i feel like at least i can do something as an individual and you know, help facilitate this with an organization. I, I, I think that's part of it. And the fact that this really is something that, that I created that is, is mine that speaks to me. You know, I'm, I'm the son of uh, three psychoanalysts and uh, there's a little bit of pressure there to, you know, to be a good therapist. Um, and I think that I needed to find my own path that really spoke to my identity and my passions, which were synthesized, you know, through the combination of music, social justice, hip hop, um, psychology, mental health, etc., and so this is my—it's my thing. And and I'm also as torturous as it can be, and scary as it can be, I'm also my own boss. And you know, we answer to grants, we answer to some other partners and in institutions. But um, you know, I, I think I had a pretty traumatic experience, I think, working in a clinic or working in community mental health clinics mm -hmm. that, that I thought were really toxic environments where I was, 
but you know, I and other interns, I was a postdoc and, you know, uh, and even as an intern, but I, I felt that there were some very dysfunctional organizations and systems. And aside from all the um, trauma and the toxicity of that, there was also organizational things set up where I was, you know, I think I was, I took uh, some emotional uh, abuse from a, su- from a supervisor um, who was permitted to be there and who was like harassing, not just me, but had a history and a legacy of sexually harassing and harassing um, interns and practicum students. And, and it, it was permitted to go on uh, for a while. Um, and I think that plus not, you know, what, what I believe in isn't being given to the world, like the traditional mental health system, there's pluses to it, but there's also these, you know, it's a real lack of cultural responsivity and, and mm-hmm. a lack of imagination totally. and a lack of being flexible and tapped into what's going on. You know, it's kind of like how community colleges are much more tapped into current phenomena and trends and what's going on in the in, in industries more so often than, you know, these fancy research universities or that yeah. are tied up in politics. And I think we need to be cutting edge. I, I don't think, you know, there's, there are other hip hop therapy people, there are other hip hop education folks, but um, I think I wanted to go for something that, that spoke to me and what I loved and it's part of my identity and, and, have, and also be able to have a, an effect on the world and have a life that was meaningful to me and not, not be on someone else's kind of, um, I don't know how to say it exactly, but, but live someone else's life or their model, but you know, yeah. live mine and develop myself. In a, in a way that I think really speaks to, you know, kind of an existential purpose. Yeah. So I just want to make a, a reflection and then I'll ask for one wish to our sidewalk talk volunteers, but I'm really hearing that this is a reclamation for you from this, from this toxic environment. It's a reclamation, not only of uh, uh, the possibility of a mental health environment that could be non-toxic, but one that could be forward-thinking, creative, cutting-edge, culturally responsive, and that's made by you so that your own self-efficacy in the world is, is lived. And I yeah, think and, that, and that's something that I've been working, and that's something that I've been working towards since I graduated high school or college. You know, I knew in college that this, something like this was what I wanted to do, going and getting a, a, you know, a, a doctorate um, or a PhD, whatever, in, in psychology, I, I knew that I wanted to integrate hip hop education, then later mental health. So it, it, it's not, this is not like a, you know, fly by night or overnight thing. This is something yeah. long in the making. That's yeah. part of my developmental journey. So yeah, I would, I would say so. And, and yeah, yeah, that's a pretty nice summary, a reclamation and a reaction, perhaps of my wanting autonomy and control and independence and having my own thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we close our conversation with kind of a ritual, I guess, because a lot of our volunteers will actually be listening to our conversation. And so as a way to kind of bring them in and to close our conversation, what advice would you offer or wish would you offer the 7,000 Sidewalk Talk listeners based on the experience that you have in the world, listening to youth and using hip hop? You know, what, or as a psychologist, what advice or wish would you offer our listeners? I think the, the, the cliche of just being open and trying not to be too stuck in your ways, um, in your agenda and what you're used to and what your value, values are, judgments, um, and not trying to impose yourself, but being, really being able to listen authentically. Again, I sound kind of like a trope or a cliche here, you know, but I, I think that's really important. I, I wish that, um, that everyone can have moments of relaxation and recuperation and healing and, you know, self-forgiveness uh, that allows them to, to like nourish themselves and recharge and be better people. Um, and I wish that for myself too. You know, it's, it's a, I'm really, trying to still work out the work-life balance um, and what I need and trying to respect that for other people. Um, so I think really just trying to be open and, and listen to what people are saying and not even if you're a good listener or a good therapist, we, 
we don't always know. We often don't know what people are telling us and to just kind of honor that experience and um, be open to new things and things that are not maybe what you're most comfortable with. Um, just in the way that I hope that people will accept you know, the therapeutic beat making or hip hop mm -hmm. pedagogy or hip hop therapy. And they think, no, no, that, that that's all bad. Or like what I know of this is bad. <laughs> I, I know this. Song. Well, be open to it, you know? And, and I hope that as we mature and get older, we don't lose our openness that we stay curious. Yeah. Um, again, I feel like a trope or like a cliche. It's very cliche well, to say that. There's but. something really <laughs> subtle that you've said though, that I'm going to just repeat. You said be open, right? But you also said be open to the unknown, right? And I think there's something cool about that because it's in the unknown where there's all kinds of creative juices of flowing if we can just let ourselves not need to know sometimes. Well, Elliot, I've taken a ton of your time and I could just, you have such a delicious voice, by the way. I love your oh, voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I could just listen to you all day long. Um, you know what I'm sad about, though? I'm sad that I don't have, we didn't make any beats during this conversation. So maybe you can I mean, send, I, me, send me a couple beats that I can post. I mean, like this? <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I was just working on that before. I'll just play it for you real quick. This is a beat that play I was working it. on. Yeah, I'll, I'll play it. Um, we'll break it down from the bare, the bare components. So, yeah, I just started with a, a German. It's actually a German. You're in Germany. So I started with a German plug-in synth playing uh, a chord progression. And I put a little effect, a wah-wah effect on it. It was just that. Are you going to send me that track so that we can, uh, we'll, we can, we can, we'll have to put it in the show. We'll put it in the show notes. Put it down down the, Elliot. Yes, ma'am. It was a lovely chat. It was nice to hear your voice. It was great. To Thank you. you. You too. Thanks for all the work you do in the world. And, um, you know, if you ever are working too hard, call me. I'll, I'll set you straight. I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having me on and I'm headed. It, it looks like potentially headed to Europe and Scandinavia and who knows, maybe even Germany in, in August. So, uh, Oh, I'm coming up to see you. Hey, come up a, to Finland. Yeah, I a, or I have a free place for you to stay if you want to come down this way. So either way. Yes, please. And thank you. All right. Thanks, Elliot. Take it right, easy. Take care. Thank you for being here and listening to this episode of the Sidewalk Talk podcast. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your family, like and comment on the podcast publisher that you're listening from and subscribe. This will help us get the word out about changing our culture to one of connection.